Welcome, everybody, to the very first episode of our new podcast. This is The S Word. Let's talk about suicide prevention. My name is Sarah Kolbeck. I am the director of the Division of Suicide Prevention at the Comprehensive Injury Center at the Medical College of Wisconsin. Um, And I'd like to introduce my co-host, colleague, and friend, Andrew Schramm. Andrew, take it away. Hey, everyone. I'm Andrew Schramm. Um, Thanks for joining us today and for your interest in our podcast. I am a clinical psychologist at Medical College of Wisconsin and do some advocacy work around suicide prevention in addition to my research and clinical practice. So really excited to be having these conversations with y'all. Thanks so much, Andrew. So as I mentioned at the top of the episode today, the, the name of this podcast is The S Word. And we chose the name of this podcast in a very intentional way. Suicide and suicide prevention are topics that are typically pretty stigmatized in a lot of communities. A lot of people are sort of maybe afraid to talk about suicide or have certain perceptions or beliefs about suicide that make it so they don't really want to talk about this as an issue. And so the S word as a name for this podcast is really intended to kind of be a little bit tongue in cheek in that Mm -hmm. we're talking about something that for a lot of folks is a little bit taboo, a little bit stigmatized, but really the intent of this podcast is to bring suicide out of the darkness and into the light, um, to be a safe place to talk about these issues and to really focus on suicide prevention. And so through the S word, we're really wanting to showcase best practices and research and experience that's related to suicide and suicide prevention. And I think also like to raise some questions and maybe challenge some of the paradigms that exist in in the suicide prevention world, really wanting this to be a space for some honest and, and critical conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I think that a lot of the work that's been done in suicide and suicide prevention you know, over the last many years has obviously been critical, really groundbreaking work. But I think there is definitely some recognition that we need to challenge some of the paradigms that are out there around our understanding of suicide. And so the the S word is going to be a place where we not only showcase best practices and talk about research, but also take a critical view of suicidology as, as a field and suicide prevention so that we can have open and honest conversations with each other about this really um, critical public health issue. And so our first episode is today. Uh, We have a really great episode that I'm excited about where we are just going to start a conversation. The episode's called Let's Talk About Suicide and Why Safe Messaging is Important for Suicide Prevention. So we're going to set the stage in terms of how we even talk about this important issue. And then we're going to, throughout the year, have a series of of episodes every month. Next month in February, we're going to be talking about kind of the the data around suicide, particularly as it exists in the state of Wisconsin. Um, We're going to be having conversations with folks with lived experience of suicide. We're going to talk about race and suicide, veterans and suicide, firearms and suicide. So there's going to be a number of different topics that we're going to discuss throughout the year. And we hope that you all as listeners are able to learn a little bit more about this topic. For sure. And definitely want to put out there that we're open to any suggestions for future topics as well, things that you're interested in that we could cover. Absolutely. 
I do just want to put out a, a quick caveat about about the podcast. Obviously, we're talking about suicide, which is a very loaded, charged, difficult topic for a lot of people. Whether you yourself have lived experience of suicidal ideation or even suicide attempt, if you're a survivor of suicide loss, even as a community member, maybe that knows somebody who died by suicide, this can be a very challenging topic. And so I just want to start off by encouraging our listeners to pay attention to your own emotions, your own feelings and thoughts as you are listening to these discussions. And if you feel as though you are getting um, a little bit distressed or overwhelmed or sad, or if um, our discussions are really activating any feelings in you that you perceive might be negative or not helpful, just to take a break, turn it off, go for a walk, um, talk to a friend, and feel free to come back at another time or just skip the episode altogether. And certainly, if you do feel like you have some acute needs and really need to talk to somebody quickly, Please know that there are a number of resources available. The Suicide Prevention Lifeline, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, is available 24-7 at 800-273-8255. The Hope Line, which is the text crisis line, is also available at you text TALK to 741-741. And I'd also like to mention that there are warm lines available. Um, a lot of us are familiar with like this, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline as a hotline. And sometimes suicide intensity doesn't feel like a crisis and folks might prefer rather to just talk to a peer who have experienced similar thoughts and feelings. And I just want to let you know that the state of Wisconsin warm line information can be found at dhs.wisconsin.gov slash crisis, or you can call the warm line in the Milwaukee area specifically at 414-777-777. 4729. Um, So just keep those numbers available. And again, if you need a break, take a break. We will be here when you get back. For sure. We want to promote conversations about suicide prevention, but not at the expense of anyone's well-being. So if if now is not the time, turn us off. We won't be offended. Right. (laughs) Thanks, Andrew. (laughs) It's always a good reminder. And I think sometimes we need to remind ourselves about that too. So for sure. Thank you. All right. So with that little intro, I want to transition into uh, today's episode. So today's episode, as I mentioned, is called Let's Talk About Suicide, Why Messaging Matters. And our guest for today's episode is Leah Rolando, who is a friend and a colleague and a fellow warrior in suicide prevention. And I think that she is just the perfect person to lead this discussion with us today. So Leah, welcome to our podcast. Yeah, Welcome, Leah. Hey, thank you for having me. Leah, would you mind just giving us a brief introduction to you? Who is Leah? What's your current role and your background in suicide prevention work? Sure. So you mentioned my name. I'm Leah Rolando. I use uh, she, her pronouns, and I work currently as the suicide prevention program coordinator for Mental Health America of Wisconsin. I have worked for Mental Health America of Wisconsin since 2017, but I came to this role after getting my MSW. So I'm a social worker. I uh, went to school to social work because I, I wanted to help people. And kind of my, my views have changed and how like I approach the work. But, but my background is working at my, the college that I went to and the high school that I went to, doing mental health advocacy and suicide prevention, kind of advocacy and activism, I guess you would say through an organization called To Write Love on Her Arms. So kind of learned a lot about the value of lived experience and sharing about things like depression, addiction, self-harm, 
suicide. I think the more we talk about these things publicly, the more people feel seen and, and don't feel alone in talking about this stuff. So that's kind of what led me um, to the field. Um, and I've, I also lost a really close friend to suicide in high school. And so that was kind of my first you know, introduction to suicide that this you know can happen to anybody and kind of led me to learn more about what, what we can do to support people in pain. Yeah, that's that's great. And I'm really sorry about the loss of your friend. I, I know how challenging that is. I and mean, I appreciate you sharing your story. I think the more that we talk about this, you know, the hopefully the more comfortable folks will be with discussing the issue. And the work that you do at the state level is so critically important through Prevent Suicide Wisconsin and Mental Health America. So I just want to ask, you know, given that this is heavy work, I know people sometimes ask me, you know, oh my gosh, how do you do this? But I'm curious what you find rewarding in this work of suicide prevention. For me, I think it's the connection to social justice and a common humanity, a kind of community found in talking about these issues. It's interesting because anytime I introduce myself with my role, I get a variety of responses from kind of shock and, and fear, <laughs> like, oh, like, why, why would you want to do that? That sounds sad all the time, um, which is sometimes a really kind of frustrating response for me to hear, but it still opens up a conversation. But on the other hand, sometimes even when you just say the word suicide, somebody will resonate with that and be like, wow, like you're actually talking about this. And so let me share with you my story or share with you the story of my friend and, and let's have this conversation. So I think those little kind of moments keep me engaged in it and, and feel like this is really impactful work. Leah, it strikes me as you say that, that just introducing yourself and your role, like the fact that your title or your organization's title includes the word suicide just immediately can bring up, it, it's can be loaded, I imagine. Yeah. Like I have, I can say like, I'm a psychologist, you know, I don't have to say. I, so thanks for, for being here and for sharing your perspective about the amazing work that you're, you're doing in the state. And so in the work that you do, Leah, but my last question before we kind of jump into the safe messaging discussion, you know, I find in this field that there is often a lot that people don't know about suicide and suicide prevention. And so what is one thing that you wish people knew? Um, you know, if somebody could is listening to this that is not real familiar with this field, what's one thing that you would like them to take away from this discussion? I think I would love for people to know that suicide is about more than just mental health. Um, I think we've done a really good job talking about mental health awareness, um, normalizing mental health, you know, pushing back against the stigma of mental health, but suicide is about so much more than that. And of course, we're going to get into that later in the discussion, but it's also about more than crisis moments. I think also when people think suicide, they think it has to be this really intense crisis and we're only going to talk about suicide when people are, you know, it's life or death and, and we have to make, you know, quick decisions. But suicide is about so much more that we can do upstream and other things that we can do kind of big picture to make life worth living and create better conditions in which people live. I love that. So this is a, a multifaceted issue and the way we look mm -hmm. at prevention needs to reflect that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a perfect segue. So one of the things that I, you know, think about when I think about things that I, I wish people knew about suicide is how to talk about suicide. You know, where, as I said at the top of the episode, we really want to bring suicide out of the darkness and into the light um, so that we can talk about prevention. 
But I think one of the key things that we need to consider is how we're talking about suicide. And when we talk about suicide prevention, that's typically discussed as what we call safe messaging around suicide. And that's really the focus of what we're going to talk about today. And Leah is definitely someone who I have heard present on this topic. And so I'm curious, Leah, if you could just give us a brief overview or or a summary of what we mean when we say or when we discuss, quote unquote, safe messaging in the context of suicide prevention. Sure. So I'll preface this by saying that the audience matters when we're talking about messaging and there aren't always right words or wrong words or kind of right right ways to say things, but there are best practices around safe messaging. So our language and depictions of suicide may inadvertently reinforce stigma and negative stereotypes or be offensive to people who've been affected by suicide. So there's a lot of ways we can talk about suicide in a more helpful way, in a way that encourages help-seeking and encourages, or I guess discourages, stigma and, and kind of harmful ideas. That's great. And why is safe messaging important? I mean, you definitely mentioned reducing stigma, but are there other reasons that you think should be considered and why this is such an important issue in suicide prevention? In addition to reducing mm-hmm. um, Yep. I think definitely safety. So, you know, we'll talk a little bit about avoiding giving graphic examples of means or method. Sometimes people do that for kind of the sad shock or trauma, and that's not really necessary. It's not helpful sometimes, um, maybe in the context of a support group or if you're talking with a counselor, of course. But in terms of messaging, when we're talking with the public, there are definitely things to avoid because they can create harm and put people in a vulnerable spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes perfect sense. So if folks are talking about suicide or are engaging in a conversation around suicide with colleagues or family members or other folks out in the community, what are some specific examples of things that we should and should not say when we're talking about suicide and suicide prevention so that we can keep this safe language in mind? Folks may have heard people talk about committing suicide. So we try to, like when we think about the word commit, you think about committing a crime or committing a sin. And so we try to shift that to died by suicide or died of suicide in the same way that we would say someone died of or died by cancer. You don't commit cancer or any other type of cause of death. So that's just one example. And then in in our state suicide prevention plan, we have a a whole table that I won't go through right now, but it kind of shares other examples of best practice language and language to avoid for suicide prevention. So that's that's one example. Perfect. Yeah, I think that's such a great example. And I think as we're out talking about this, you know, it's okay to make mistakes. Um, it's okay to, you know, if you accidentally, you know, use language that maybe isn't the safest for suicide, it's okay. But I think just continuing to try to model those best practices, you know, we don't, for example, say something like it was a successful suicide attempt. You wouldn't have a successful cancer death. You wouldn't have a successful heart attack. And so really focusing on, you know, words and language that don't place any sort of value on on the act. It's a death by suicide. Um, and so, yeah, I think the, the points that you raised, Leah, are critically important. 
Yeah. And and one thing I, I failed to mention was that you know, I said language matters, but it matters because the language we're saying impacts our attitudes and beliefs about suicide. And so I'm, I'm thinking mm-hmm. of the Wildflower Alliance does this activity where they put up a, a phrase and people stand on kind of a spectrum of like what you bring to the table. And so if someone really does believe that dying by suicide and, and by saying committing suicide is committing a sin or, or you're doing something wrong, you bring that belief to that conversation with a person and it, it might not feel as supportive to, to the person you're talking with. And I think none of us are claiming to have safe language perfectly or that we never make mistakes. So I think just want to put out there that like, this is something that we're always working on. And so we don't want fear of not saying something like perfectly to prevent people from speaking out. Mm-hmm. So, so I think mistakes are okay and we all make them, Absolutely, <laughs> but it's just something we want to strive for. I don't know about you, but I'm perfect. So <laughs> uh, must be nice, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> so right? humble. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> so I know that we have seen media stories about suicide, particularly about prominent celebrities. You know, I think about Robin Williams and Anthony mm. Bourdain and Kate Spade and even local news stories about unfortunate cases of of suicide that occur in our community. And I know that the media has done some work around safe messaging in their stories. Are there examples of things like images or footage that should not be included in like social media posts or other news posts, things like that related to suicide? Yeah, this is a really important topic, especially for journalists or even reporters, anybody talking about suicide in a public way or writing about suicide. And they have those reporting recommendations at reportingonsuicide.org backslash recommendations. That's pretty easy to remember. And they've got avoid and then instead. So um, the a top example is avoid describing or depicting the method and location of suicide and instead report the death as a suicide and keep that information about the location general. Um, And they go through the rest of the list and then they give examples too. So that's an incredibly helpful resource that anybody can use when you're publicly talking about suicide in, in the media or reporting on specifically. Yeah, that's really great. It's really wonderful that those resources are out there. And I think I've I've noticed over the last couple of years in particular, kind of a shift in the media around talking about suicide. And, and so it seems like guidelines like this are definitely becoming more known and, and are more prominent. And that's certainly encouraging. So thank you for sharing that additional resource. That's that's great. Can I throw a wrench in this? Of course. Uh, <laughs> I'm curious what you think about Like, is there sometimes harm in not naming a death as a suicide? I know that's not what you just recommended, but I feel like sometimes if a school or a business or something, there's a death by suicide, sometimes there can be such secrecy around it. So is one of the recommendations that we actually name it, do you think, or what, what do you all recommend? Yeah, that's a tricky one. And that probably opens a lot of discussion and a lot of thoughts and feelings, people who might be listening. But I think especially if there's a suicide in a school, right, like you named, there's hesitancy in naming it as a suicide. Or at least what I'm thinking is I've seen some organizations name a different issue as the cause of death, like bullying was the reason mm. you didn't die. It wasn't suicide, like bullying like was the cause. But then that erases the narrative that suicide's complicated and mm-hmm. that that goes into, you know, what could have potentially prevented this death. 
So I think there's value in naming it as suicide and then learning more about suicide to unpack what that means. That being said, it's important to to respect the the family's wishes as well. If a family sure. to name something as a suicide, so we need to respect their process as well and offer grief resources as appropriate. Definitely. Yeah, I think one thing that complicates that a little bit too is social media. Oftentimes, friends, colleagues, peers of somebody who died by suicide will know that it's a suicide. And then there are other narratives perhaps that are being put out there um, that might contradict or might not necessarily reveal that whole truth. And so I think to all of these points, it's really important to be sensitive to family concerns and things of that nature. It's also important to um, look beyond the family. One thing that we always say is that suicide doesn't just impact individuals, it impacts communities. And so really thinking about the levels of engagement that this person had with folks, um, whether it's family, friends, colleagues, coworkers, you know, fellow students, and paying attention to those, those nuances and those situations. And again, using safe language language, but, you know, naming it when it feels appropriate to name it as well. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a segue into the next part of our conversation that I want to talk about. And I use this word nuance um, and nuances. And one of the things that I've learned over the last several years in doing this work of researching suicide and talking about suicide prevention is that suicide is a complex issue. It is not something that is quote unquote black and white. And suicidality is not a binary, like many things in life. Um, Suicidal ideation, suicidal behavior doesn't just exist or not exist. It really does exist on a spectrum. And I I say this as somebody with lived experience, that Mm -hmm. there is a spectrum of suicidal thoughts, suicidal behavior. And I think it's really helpful to think about suicidal ideation and suicide behavior as a spectrum, like I said, that ranges from no thoughts of suicide all the way up to a suicide attempt. So, you know, as I said, somebody can live with no thoughts. There can be kind of random intrusive thoughts. There can be some thoughts that are kind of vague. There's no intent or plan. There can be um, intent with a method and a plan. And then there can be suicide attempt. And people that live with issues of chronic suicidality, chronic suicidal ideation might cycle through all of these phases once or many times throughout their life. And it it really becomes like a chronic disease, a chronic part of their life that they manage and is part of the reality for a lot of people, including myself, you know, and so it's really something that you you learn to live with in your way, whether it's medication, whether it's talk therapy, whether it's peer support, you know, it's, it's just part of life. And so I'm curious when we're thinking about safe language and, and safe messaging around suicide, you know, how might the recommendations that, that we just discussed affect folks that are living with chronic suicidal ideation? And I'm really curious, Leah, what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I I think the, the narrative is that people, you know, we we push like hope and recovery. And, and when we put people with lived experience on a panel or a, a platform, we want them to tell us that I had these thoughts of suicide or I attempted suicide and then I got treatment and now I'm better <laughs> and mm-hmm. that many suicidal thoughts anymore and life is great. And I don't think that's the reality um, for the majority of people. I don't, um, I don't have all like the statistics on 
how how true that is. But I my sense is by talking to friends and family and, and colleagues uh, who live with suicidal ideation that it, it's not that straightforward. And the narratives that we put out there actually do m- more harm than good when we tell people to kind of wrap their stories and kind of tie it off with a bow and, and say that things got better because sometimes they don't. And it'll be um, a longer journey and people find support in different ways. Um, so, so it's, it's complicated there. Like you said, there's a lot of nuance in the conversation and the safe messaging guidelines while somewhat straightforward, aren't actually that straightforward. Right. And I think, you know, one of the things that we often in the suicide prevention field, one of the things that we say as something that folks should do if they're experiencing suicidal thoughts is go to your mental health provider, talk to your doctor, you know, do talk therapy, um, take medication, which is wonderful. It it absolutely helps many people, myself included. But we know from data and research that less than half of individuals who die by suicide have a mental health issue that's been diagnosed. And that surprises a lot of people. And when we're thinking about some of the proximal factors that are associated with suicide, we can think about things like housing instability and mm-hmm. food insecurity and employment issues, relationship issues, um, substance misuse, and access to lethal means. I mean, these these very real issues impact risk for suicide among Wisconsinites. And so when we're thinking about safe messaging, what are some of the ways that you think, Leah, and Andrew, I'm curious on your thoughts too, that we can perhaps reframe our messaging around suicide and suicide prevention to account for the myriad non-mental health issues that are associated with suicide? Mm-hmm. That's such a good question. And that's what we're trying to address um, with our statewide conference and talking about reframing the narrative and talking about the other things that impact suicide. I um, I feel like I reference this person a lot, but Elise Viriani is an artist and mental health advocate and therapist. And she has an image that basically says, if we want to address mental health, we have to dig deeper. And so I think the same can be said about suicide. If we want to address suicide, we have to dig deeper. And then in in her image, um, she includes all these different words, like you just mentioned, Sarah, housing instability, racism, poverty, oppression in general, all of these different things. And so images like that, at least for me, I'm a very visual person, really help me see all the things that are kind of underneath mental health and suicide. So if we can keep elevating those types of visuals and those types of narratives that are broader than just this kind of medical model pathologized view of suicide, I think we can kind of make a a bigger difference and support people in better ways. Yeah, for sure. I really appreciate the conversation around the different suicidality as kind of a spectrum and one with multiple layers in my life personally. And then also with my work professionally as a therapist, you know, suicide and suicidality, suicidal thoughts or behavior really is pretty profound in terms of it being a statement about existentialism. You know, we're talking about existence and whether this life is worth living. I can't imagine a more intimate, personal thing. So I think part of my goal in working with folks that are experiencing suicidal thoughts in in some way is to really try and understand what that looks like and feels like for them. And it's Mm -hmm. not the same for any two people. 
So I think sometimes when suicide prevention messaging makes it appear like it's this one dimensional thing, I think that that can actually do people a disservice. It makes me think a little bit about like, I, so I treat PTSD um, as one of my areas of expertise. And there's a lot of like public messaging about how PTSD is treatable in six to 12 sessions. And, and like, that's good. And for like, some people that's true, right? Like six sessions after your car crash for PTSD and you don't have PTSD anymore. But for many people that it, it is a chronic lifelong journey healing from, from PTSD. And I've had patients who are like, I read that this should take six sessions online. Like, why are we on session 20? And I think it can be kind of invalidating. So I wonder about that as it kind of applies to folks that are experiencing chronic uh, or kind of ongoing suicidal thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think it can be frustrating in a lot of ways to think, you know, I have this set of six sessions with my EAP provider, or I have this number of sessions that my insurance will cover, or I can pay for this many sessions. And you're not really feeling better after, mm -hmm. you know, after those six sessions, no matter how much work you've done. And so, I mean, I agree that I think we need to keep that in mind as we're talking about this this issue that you know as you know as we've said multiple times this is a chron this can be a chronic lifelong condition that folks live with and so creating spaces for support for those folks that extend beyond you know sort of the clinical setting into the community I think is critically mm -hmm. important mm -hmm. and and broadening right the perspective of what we view as causes of suicide and contributors to that yep. to include yep. some of the community and kind of more systemic level factors that you all are describing. Yeah, absolutely. That might be a good segue into discussing this article. Does that sound okay, Leah and Sarah? Yeah. Okay. Really. Okay. So I don't know who found this article or suggested it, but thank you for doing that. Leah, you did? Thank you. Yeah, it was Leah. <laughs> yeah. Leah, do you mind just introducing the article? How did you come across it? And do you know the author? Is this a source of text that you're familiar with? Yeah. So Jess Stolman Rainey, I don't want to mess up her title right now, but I know she works in Colorado with their big crisis center, coordinating a lot of their response um, and working with crisis workers. But I see her as a leader in the suicide field talking about shifting this paradigm and looking at social justice approaches to suicide, non-coercive approaches to suicide and crisis, and really kind of challenging the way we've historically, quote unquote, done suicide prevention. Mm -hmm. um, and so she has her own lived experience with suicide, um, uh, spoke at our conference as a keynoter a couple of years ago on white supremacy culture and how mm -hmm. that impacts the suicide prevention field. An example she gave uh, in terms of messaging, individualism infiltrates the suicide prevention messaging and tells mm. people to be the one to save people, you know, as opposed to this collective oh, wow. and community focus. And so mm -hmm. I definitely suggest checking out more from her. But this article she wrote a few years back in response to safe messaging guidelines. So there's a couple of quotes. Of course, the whole article is pretty good and kind of challenges what we think about safe messaging. But do you want me to read one of them or do you want to? Yeah, for sure. If you'd like to. And this, the full title of the piece is called How Safe Messaging Gaslights Suicidal People. And the piece is uh, available publicly. So if you haven't read it, definitely 
encourage you to check it out and read it on your own. But yeah, Leah, if you'd like to read one of those quotes that you captured, I'd love that. Yeah, definitely. So she has in here, um, safe messaging overrides the reality of people with lived experience with suicide by forcing them to tell their stories through a framework of hope and recovery. Our stories must be sanitized, gutted of any details deemed undesirable, like method or the harsh reality that treatment often fails us. The only stories that are allowed are the stories that confirm the work of suicide prevention. Mm. And so kind of this cookie cutter, uh, like when you were talking earlier about having folks with lived experience on panels and so on, like there being pressure for that to be the narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the first time I read this quote, working in the suicide prevention field, I was like, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, kind of had to sit with it for a little bit. But rereading it and thinking about how we engage people with lived experience and if people do want to share their lived experience, are we censoring things? How do we do this in a safe way, but also a way that doesn't cookie cutter these stories and Mm -hmm. make them desirable to to Mm -hmm. the, you know. um, Yeah, and empowering people and and making space for folks to own their narrative and in share that in whatever way feels right for them. Yeah. 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 A quote that I really liked from this piece that, that just Stolman Rainey had was all of us deserve the dignity of owning and sharing our stories without mediation or infiltration by systemic silence and shame. And I think about, you know, as we were just talking about the stories of folks who, you know, live with kind of this cycle of chronic suicidal ideation. And our story is, it's recovery, but it's not necessarily recovery in the way that has, is talked about in a lot of ways. I recovered for 20 years and then I fell into a really dark, deep, very difficult time in my life. And I stayed in that space for many months and I, it took me many more months to come out of that. And that's a story that I think might be mediated or infiltrated by these systems that we work within. Um, so I just really appreciated that quote as well. Like the sanitation of the stories that are out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. One quote that I had um, noted was the illusory <laughs> idea that we can control suicide by controlling the content a suicidal person is exposed to dominates safe messaging guidelines. It begs the question, who is really being protected? The stories of suicidal people are being silenced. Leah, I want to kick it to you. Like, what what comes to mind for you with that? Yeah, what what comes to mind is actually this Twitter thread that I saw recently that uh, my coworker shared with me. Actually, as we're talking about the rollout of nine eight eight, which isn't activated yet, just just to let people know, <laughs> but it's coming. So nine eight eight will be the new three digit dialing code for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And so a lot of us behind the scenes right now are working on building infrastructure for the suicide prevention lifeline in each of our states. So making sure that people will get connected to someone on the other side of the phone when they call. And so um, we're working on the messaging too, but this thread on Twitter was a very candid documentation of all these different stories of people who have called the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline and haven't had this ideal response. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are kind of calling out, hey, like I, I called and I had to wait a really long time to talk with someone. Mm-hmm. 
course, that's an issue folks are working on, but that's their experience. You know, if yeah. you're racist and you're calling, that's a very valid thing. It's, it's difficult to wait even just a few seconds when that's a really important moment. And then some other stories about the response they were given just wasn't supportive at all. It, it was dismissive or they referred them to someone else. And so a lot of us in the field are like, no, no, like don't <laughs> share those stories because we don't want to discourage people from mm. help. But when the help that people are seeking isn't there or isn't supportive, we really need to have a, a bigger conversation about that. I think people don't like to sit in that discomfort of what we're doing isn't working, but want it to work. And we want to put the message out that if people seek help, they're going to get help. But sometimes that's not always true. And so I think kind of the answer is the importance of like just being uncomfortable with those stories that mm -hmm. aren't these stories that we want to hear in the field, those really shine a light on the things we need to be talking about and the things we need to be addressing. And being, being authentic about that, right? And yeah, for someone that's in a space of this existential question of suicide, I think authenticity and attunement and listening and being candid, like all those things I think are tremendously valuable. And I think that's lost in the pattern that maybe you're describing or the mm -hmm. communication tendency that, that you described. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, such good questions, such good thoughts. And I hadn't seen that Twitter thread, Leah, about the 988, some of the, the other narratives that, you know, are potentially, I think, at risk of being silenced, um, you know, in the in this rollout and and trying to figure out how to balance those voices with the potential good that that this mm -hmm. national resource can do for folks. Yeah. You know, so how do you think that safe messaging can be a little bit more inclusive? Our notion of safe messaging could be a little bit more inclusive of folks who live with these issues of suicidal ideation who maybe have attempted suicide or even have survived a suicide loss. Um that's a really good question. <laughs> that is a hard question. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I, I grapple and I ask because I think, and maybe we don't have to have the answer today, but I think right. I want to put that out as a challenge for those of us working in this field. How do we incorporate the voices of lived experience um, into our messaging and, and also keep those voices and those experiences in mind as we're talking about suicide, not only with our peers, but also in the community? Yeah. And I think one way to get at the answer is just, I mean, this sounds so basic, but just listening to people with lived experience mm -hmm. and not, not trying to like craft their quote unquote story, but just listening and asking, you know, what was helpful for you when you wanted to die? And like, what wasn't helpful? Like we want to hear what wasn't helpful. So we stop doing those mm -hmm. things. Right. And, and I think that would definitely help us get to some better messaging that's still safe, but definitely more inclusive and more authentic because people don't want to hear, just reach out if you need help. <laughs> you know, it, when you really are in crisis, that just, it doesn't feel as supportive as someone just seeing you and offering to sit with you in that pain or whatever you're going through. Yeah, I think that's so critically important is that I think oftentimes when folks are faced with somebody who might be in crisis or might be, you know, have some, you know, thoughts of suicide, you know, what do I do with this? You know, what do I do? I want to, I want to help. 
I don't want this person to to get hurt or worse. And I think, you know, that notion of that action of just sitting and allowing space for that person to talk is so mm-hmm. critically important. I think it's it's a reason why talk therapy is so critically mm-hmm. or is so helpful for folks. It was so helpful for me. Just having that space to talk and be and be heard is so is so powerful. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I think about brain imaging research. Okay, the nerd in me is going to come out. I lasted for a little while, but here it is. (laughs) Um, But there's brain studies that show that emotional pain or anguish um, registers in a similar way in a similar part of the brain as physical pain. And there's this amazing study where someone's in a brain scanner. So you can see like real time the parts of the brain lighting up. And I don't know how they got this past the IRB, but they did. And I'm glad. Um, <laughs> but they shocked the feet of the person in the scanner and looked at what the brain did. Mm-hmm. And what they found was that when someone was alone in the scanner, it hurt much worse. The pain registered in the brain more intensely. If wow. they were holding the hand of a loved one that they felt a connection with, the pain literally registered as less severe in the brain. So like on a cellular level. So I love what you said, Sarah, about just being with, right? Mm. To me, like if all else fails, just being a presence um, with someone is, like you said, so powerful. And we know from brain research that it decreases the intensity of that pain to not feel alone in it. Right. Yeah. And that makes me wonder if the messaging is less about reach out and more about being there, Um, Mm. just being there. I mean, it gives me chills to think about that study, Andrew. Um, That is really cool. And I think such an important thing to keep in mind. So it's great. For sure. I Can I throw one more wrench in? Please. (laughs) I want to play devil's advocate a little bit. If I'm a listener and I'm thinking, what the heck? You guys are saying to talk about suicide in a certain way, to not discuss method, some of this safe language and so on. But on the other hand, you're saying that we need to make space for people to talk about their experiences in detail. What the hell? Like, what would you say to them? (laughs) (laughs) My initial thought is like the audience matters. So I think when we're holding space in a counseling appointment or as a friend or in a a conference where we're talking about suicide, I think we can kind of get into more detailed things. But for reporting and broad like public messaging, it makes sense not to to mention means and and Mm -hmm. things like that. So I'm not... I, I don't know, Sarah, if you have thoughts or Andrew, after if you have a response to that. No, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I- yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, keeping that in mind. And I think, you know, as I was thinking about this episode, Andrew, I was having that little thought in my mind too. Like we're sort mm. of being contradictory a little bit, but I think this helps illustrate the fact that this is a complex issue, that it's not one or the other. It's We have to be thoughtful and considerate when we're talking about it, not just for safety, but also for making sure that folks with lived experience feel that their stories are also part of this discussion. Yeah. Well, this has been an awesome first episode. I could not be happier about our discussion today. Leah, I just cannot um, express my gratitude enough for you and the work that you do. 
just as kind of a summary of today, keeping in mind safe messaging when you're talking about suicide, but also being careful to, as Leah said, kind of know the audience, understand the audience and allowing folks with lived experience, providing space for them to to express their reality in a way that feels good to them. You know, I think we've also had some good discussions today that have sort of challenged our field, challenged ourselves a little bit to kind of balance that perception of safety with the need to incorporate lived experience. So I just appreciate both of you and having this discussion with me today. And I think we we need to continue to challenge and push the boundaries and be critical of some of the more outdated notions of suicide and suicide prevention. And we should continue to extend that to messaging around suicide. So... Thank you again, Leah. Andrew, do you have any parting thoughts? Yeah, um, you are both just among my favorite human beings ever. <laughs> so thank you so much for this time and, and conversation. I really enjoyed it. Um, I guess as we wrap up, I would just want to encourage um, the three of us, but also our listeners, um, maybe as the podcast ends, just to take a breath and, and notice what's coming up for you, what you're feeling in your body, maybe what you need in the next minutes or hours to, to take care of yourself. Um, so just recognizing that uh, this is a, a, a difficult topic and wanting to encourage everyone to pay attention to what's coming up for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Andrew. I appreciate you always reminding us of that in this work. So thank you. Yeah. I'm a broken record with it. <laughs> no, it's perfect. But, yeah. So we, our um, next episode, as I said, will be coming up in February. We'll be talking about data around suicide and talking a little bit more about that report that Leah referenced in our discussion today, the report on suicide in Wisconsin impact and response. Um, so we look forward to that discussion and until next time, we'll see you then. Mm-hmm.